thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy, Mac. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fearless Sword. Corey, this is a damn good time to be a Cavs fan, ain't it? Uh, nothing better to get us through our NFL playoff woes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Corey Walsh, and I just actually found this out, uh, is a New England Patriots fan. Say what you want about that, uh, but they have a consistency when in terms of winning and mac jones being able to take that team to the playoffs in year one uh pretty good pretty good start and on uh my half of uh of things as most of you know i am a philadelphia eagles fan rough outing definitely got uh torn apart i don't even know how else to put that by the goat uh, I guess if that if that makes people feel any better, any Philadelphia fans out there that might be listening to the show, takes all in the fact that Tom Brady was the one who who kicked Philadelphia's ass, and it wasn't just somebody like the Cowboys or something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is not an NFL show. This is a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. So let's jump right into it. First things first. Since the last time we recorded Corey, the Cavs were able to pull out a hard-fought victory over the Oklahoma City Thunder by the final score of 107-102. to uh, Darius Garland was exceptional in that one as he paced the Cavs with 27 points, 5 rebounds. And what stands out above all of his uh, stat line from the entire night was the 18 assists that he dished out, which was a career high. Uh, nobody else had more than four, dude. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Uh, and that was Brandon Goodwin, by the way, on the night. Everybody else had about one assist. Uh, really, just up and down the roster, there was contributions from from everybody. Though, uh, ball movement was there from the jump, and you know there was there was so many screens being set to free others up. And it ain't just Mobley or Allen setting them up for for lob attempts either. Uh, it just wasn't uncommon to see K Love or Markinen setting up one to clear enough space for Mobley or Allen to exit the paint or for pick and pop opportunities or, or even her driving kick opportunities for, uh, from the likes of Garland and Goodwin. Uh, and even though most of those were those uh, catch and shoot opportunities, the Cavs need to capitalize on converting because dude, they're only converting 34.9% of those, um, which they, they got to up those percentages. And I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I say all this to say that even when Cleveland is not playing its best ball offensively, they look damn good, man. So with that being said, what was your favorite part from that game? I mean, the, the 18 assists aside, give me, give me something that jumps out to you. 
just Garland's overall like willingness to fight in this game. He kind of was just like, and we've been hearing like throughout the past few weeks, how Lamar Stevens is kind of like the physical being of this team. And it's definitely just so obvious that Garland's like the offensive spark for this team at all times. Like when he's going, the offense is at its peak effectiveness. And when he's like trying his hardest to keep the Cavs within games, you really see that then the team kind of picks itself back up. It's like, all right, well, our, our leader is really going out there and trying. So we might as well keep giving our best to not that these JB teams don't, but it was just nice. It was refreshing to see because if this was like a Cavs team from even just last year, like if we were down to this OKC team, we just go like, uh, you know, this is how the schedule will go. This is how it will break. And then that will be it. And we would just be like, well, that game's over. But now with Darius in this whole new role, we're seeing quite the opposite. Yeah, I mean, he appears to be a completely different player this season. And a lot of that stems from confidence, yes. But I don't know, man, what a difference a year's time has made in regards to this guy's play. Um, I I would be kidding if I thought he would be taking a step like this uh, in, in year three. It just, to me, it just always seemed like he played just a little bit timid last season. And he's completely turned that around. Uh, so very, very encouraging to see. And uh, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I, I think the guy should be getting a little bit more MVP love. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know that's, that's a lot, but I think he has so much to do with how the Cleveland offense is run with no Ricky on the floor anymore. No secondary, no true secondary playmaker or creator. He really is like, he's the the conductor. He does it all. Um, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was going to say from that standpoint, I a hundred percent agree. And it's not that I obviously don't agree that Darius Garland is so important to this team. I just like, I just feel like we all know how like the MVP vote committee kind of goes. It doesn't ever seem to like, it's really the player that's like the most sports center clippable player in my opinion. And it's always like the flashiest player on the team that everyone likes to talk about. Like, it kind of surprised me to the extent of how Jokic got it last year because he's just like, I feel like people always kind of look over him and then it's like, well, we can't give it to Giannis for the second year in a row. That would just be really weird. So let's just give it to Jokic, I guess. And I, I feel like this year, like if it was going to be a point guard, I feel like committee would lean so much more towards like John Morant if Memphis stays yeah. on this pace than they would if it was Darius. But I'm, by all means, I'm not saying the guys should be like, oh, a top five favorite, because I honestly believe Jaw has a, a serious case here. Um, I, but I do believe Garland should be in the top 10. And mm-hmm. we should, we'll see. We already saw Jared Allen making a little bit of noise there uh, earlier on in the season. Um, yeah. Just based upon some of the reports and some of the articles that have come out uh, throughout the season. But uh, man, DG is just like the straw that stirs the drink. It's it's crazy. And even when he's not shooting well, because again, he, he's had a few of these, you know, pretty, pretty bad shooting nights uh, from three point range. And it, it doesn't even matter. I mean, in, in the OKC game, 11 and 20 from the field, but one of seven from three point line, just he's getting it done in other ways. Um, but aside from him in that game, you know, Jared Allen, he got his 20, the 23rd, I believe double, double of the mm-hmm. season. And that guy, man, he's just he's just a, a load to to really handle. He he just positions himself so well. And he was a a terror out there for a 
OKC team that didn't have much in terms of rim protection out there. <laughs> Most of them just graduated high school, though. So let's just, you know. I'll be fair. I'll be fair. Okay, okay. Oh, no, I'm just like, OKC is like such a weird thing to measure your team's talent against because like they just, if anyone is like three years or more of NBA experience, they're like, all right, you know, we'll just hey, calm they got, down. They got your boy, man. They got Josh Giddy. <laughs> That's true. You know, they got the Gidster. The the Giddy Hive is active. <laughs> yeah, and uh and SGA, he was his uh usual self, 21, 4, and 7. He didn't shoot very well from the field, but uh I attribute that to Lamar Stevens and Isaac Okoro kind of laying down the wall there. Mm-hmm. But it was just it was a very fun game to watch outside of the 18 assists from Darius Garland. Um Evan Mobley, I believe, had his sixth 20-point scoring game of the season. And even when uh even when he's not being set up by the likes of DG, he's able to find his own shot in the mid-range. Mm-hmm. There was a few possessions during that game where he was doubled, and he loves that hook shot, man. Um, him and him and Jared, they they love that turnaround hook shot. I, and it's it's pretty fun to watch just because they're so tall. They can really just hit it over anybody. It's, it's an unguardable shot. It feels like in, um, in uh, space jam where Jordan's arm would extend for the, the dunk at times, like when Mobley goes for this <laughs> hook it like, I feel like his arm is like over the rim when he's like at the restricted line, pretty much. I'm like, what is happening with like, these players are just like Evan Mobley's just a freak. He's just so like, long and length. He just reminds me of Durant in terms of like his, like how he's built, but he plays like a, like a traditional power forward at times. Like I know this is comparison has been beaten to death, but the KG resemblance to me is just like insane. Dude, it's there. I mean, you're not, even though we talk about this a lot and everybody else does too, it's, we lucked into this guy to get to get somebody like this who is considered possibly a generational talent and is getting comparisons to guys like KG and um, Tim Duncan, among others. It's it's just very, very good thing to see for a team that hasn't had a lot to celebrate over the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely loving the fact that they were able to uh, to snag him and that he's utilizing his God given ability and. I I still see some areas of growth from him, but by and large, he's he's just been so impactful, especially on the defensive end. Um, let's talk about another guy here who who he just he seems hit public opinion on him just seems to kind of sway left and right from game to game. That is one Larry Markinen. He just I don't know I don't know if you've seen this recently, but. He always seems, even when he's not hitting shots, he always seems to hit them at the right time. Whenever shots aren't falling from him, it, it, it always that one always seems to come exactly when the Cavs need it. Yeah, I think that's just where true shooters really make their mark because you can a shooter can miss as many shots in a game as he takes. But at the end of the day, I feel like at the, it's always going to come down to repetition and what you're good at. And with Lori, it's definitely the three point shot is his bread breadwinner for him. And I honestly, every time he shoots it, I I'm never scared of it. Not going in still, despite the percentages being so low. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie to you. Some of them, some of them shots. I'm like, Oh damn. This, I feel like, thing. you know, like with a Coro at times, 
throughout the seasons, I'm like, Oh God, please don't, don't shoot it. I don't care yeah. if they're leaving you open. But with Lori, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel that fear as often at times. <laughs> and it used to be like that with Lamar, but now like apparently Lamar's a flamethrower. So <laughs> it's totally fine when he shoots now these days too. It's weird. I mean, with Lamar, I I'm starting to have more faith in his three point shot than Isaac. It's weird. Uh, mm-hmm. if you were to ask me that even five games ago, I would have told you, nope, I still would go. <laughs> I would still lean towards Isaac in that regard, but I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of growth, a little bit of development from Lamar in that area. And I think that's because they are allowing him to, uh, to take those looks and they're, I think they're encouraging him to when, when they become available. Yeah. The thing with Lori too, is that, you know, someone's going to have to shoot those three point attempts on this team. And unless JB is going to start giving more minutes to Dean Wade, who must have like said something about JB behind his back. Yeah. Is he a dog I don't know. I mean, well, this team is full of dogs as uh, the team always states, but you know, um, I if, like who else is going to shoot these. And when I ask, I always ask myself when it's Lori, because I don't think I really want anyone else that isn't already shooting threes on this team to shoot. I mean, ideally Dylan Windler would be nice, but he goes through like game by game confidence issues. It seems like. Yeah. And, and for Dylan, um, honestly, over these last two games, I've started to see an uptick, um, you know, in his shot attempts and the, the confidence may wane from time to time, but he does appear to be kind of rounding a curve. Uh, in that regard, he did hit two of his five triple attempts uh, versus OKC. Mm-hmm. And overall, I want to say over his last seven games or so, uh, I swear I just had this pulled up. I think over his last seven games or so, he's actually 50% from three-point line, mm-hmm. um, which is just pretty good. I mean, it's not high volume, but I want to say he's taken at least 20 shots on that uh, during that time span. So I I can't complain, uh, especially with the time that he's been given, but I will say this, he has got to remain healthy. (laughs) And maybe that's why they're not playing him as often as you'd like. I mean, against OKC, he had 17 minutes and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Um, I want the starters to be able to get a little bit of rest. And I think Wendler is one of those guys that, that could be key in that regard, but Maybe the Cavs just aren't there yet. <laughs> and in yeah. regards to, like you said, in regards to Dean Wade, like I really want to know what the hell, because we haven't seen this guy uh, in, in a handful of games. I honestly, off the top of my head, I cannot remember the last time I saw him on the court. Especially like in meaningful minutes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. where he can come in relief to give like Kevin, Lori, or Evan some minute quality minutes of rest. It wouldn't hurt to like throw him out for like four minutes. Yeah, I mean, you could easily you could easily carve like a three to four minute stretch a quarter in which you play him somewhere from three to five. I think he's capable of it. He showed that last year uh, that he could he's capable of being a spot starter. Uh, he's capable of coming in all, and regardless of how much time he's missed and providing something. But and he's a, he's he's one of the better defenders that the Cavs have out there. Um, and it seems like mm-hmm. the Cavs have kind of a a wealth of those now at this point in time, but just cause we've been talking about him, I, the last time we actually saw him was against Utah and he only played three minutes. That was quite a celebrity appearance. Oh, yes. Over, <laughs> over the last six games, he's played a combined 13 minutes. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I went to the Celtics-Cavs game in Boston back right when we were ravaged by COVID, and I think that was the last time I saw him play, like, meaningful minutes. Like, he played a huge amount of time in that game, and he didn't look too shabby. It's not like he really played himself out of the rotation. And I'm starting to think that JB kind of looked at the lineup and was like, all right, it's really going to have to come between Lamar or Dean Wade to, like, get all the minutes he's he's not going to keep splitting them up and it just seems like with the way that lamar's been playing i guess jb thinks that they're going to bring the same thing to the table you know i I can't argue with that just because just purely based upon the play uh as of late lamar deserves to be out there um you know and i asked on twitter not too recently you know in the event well uh, not in the event with how Lamar has played recently, does he deserve to potentially start keep starting at the two? Now, obviously, you know, <laughs> Isaac Okoro is the guy and the 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 route you would take in that regard, but that just kind of hints at my confidence in regards to what Lamar can provide, even in a uh, a lesser role. Mm-hmm. Uh, against OKC, he only played in he he really split. He he it was really only a nominal start. He got 19 minutes. Okoro played 24 off the bench and they're still, they still were kind of having Isaac on a ministry restriction. Uh, but you know, the very following game against Brooklyn, you know, we, we already know what he did and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but we know long-term Isaac is the guy. It, it, it just, it feels good to have a guy like Lamar that you can throw out there. Who's in, who's one of the Cavs best defenders in my opinion though. Uh, but in regards to Dean Wade, I just, I don't know. It's, it's so weird with him. I don't know if we'll ever see him again for the rest of the season, barring injury. Oh no. These guys are playing. <laughs> I hate to say that. It's weird. Man. Fan favorite to like, now we're just pining for like a, a, an appearance. Like maybe I should just, he should open up a cameo account so I can see him more often. I'll just keep requesting videos from him or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a, uh, it's weird. I'll have to keep eye on that. We're gonna keep we're, we're gonna keep looking at that as the season goes on. Uh, but before we move on to the Brooklyn game, I got a fun little exercise for you. And I was thinking about just because something that popped into my head as I was scrolling through Twitter the other day, and I would like you to to rank these teams from least fun to most fun. Mm. It's all Cavs related, but the four choices here. And you that I want you to rank from least fun to most fun are the 2014 Cavs, the 2015 16 Cavs, the 2021 22 Cavs this season, and the 09 10 Cavs. Now, before you do that, I just want you to remember a couple of things. The 2014 2015 season had a lot of, lot of movement, a lot of fresh faces. You know, it's LeBron's first season back in Cleveland. Uh, we lost Kevin Love back in game four. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as uh, most Cavs fans, much their chagrin. Kelly Olenek, I still don't like you. <laughs> for <them. laughs> uh, Probably never will. But uh, yeah, we lost Kev in game one of the first round. We lost Kyrie in game one of the uh, finals. And obviously, you know, with those injuries, Cleveland lost to the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. We already know what 2015-16 is about, so I'm going to skip that. We are currently living 2021-22, which is awesome. And the 09-10 winner ring for the king 
Shaq, Cavs. Uh. <laughs> Rank those teams for me in terms of least fun to most fun. All right. Well, I'm going to go for 09 being my least favorite because I feel like the dread. What? I feel like the I I'm I I feel like I remember just constantly worrying about this team. Like constantly, like I was like, Le- oh like god, LeBron's like, future. Yeah, LeBron's future really weighs heavily as like a dark cloud over a lot of the teams, in my opinion. Because like once the chit chatter started and it's starting to feel more real, with like you really felt pressure. Like if we don't win this, like it's over. And like regular, the Cavs with LeBron were always like excelling in the regular season, and then when postseason came, it like nail biting time really started, and every playoff series felt like the rug was about to be pulled out from under you. And then when it finally did, and he took off the jersey, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And for for a lot of these younger Cavs fans out here who did not experience that real time and watch it live, that Game Six loss in the finals to the Boston Celtics is, is an image I will probably never forget uh, just because it was, it was iconic, man. Many, many people have talked about that over the years, but that that's something that has been forever immortalized in my opinion. I learned about the decision at a Chili's and I can tell you, I've never been back since. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, a strong impression it made on you then. I was. I just remember. I my. I was with my cousin, who's a Miami Heat fan. So we both just looked at each other with completely opposite expressions, and I was like, "I don't think we can see each other anymore <laughs> after this moment." But uh, going on to the next team, I would probably say 2014 is third, be- which is hard for me to say because I am a huge Matthew Della Vadova fan, which is the only bright spot in my opinion. Of that finals. Oh, yeah. The IV game. IV game. I just, I remember I was tweeting Deli Trey memes all the time, you know, just being a high schooler going around being like Del Vadova is the <laughs> the future of this team. Kyrie can just stay away because, you know, you, you're, you're stupid and recency bias really takes over. <laughs> and that team was fun, though, from the sense of watching it mold into what it became. It was like kind of like just the first steps of that dynasty, or I guess we can't call it a dynasty with one championship, but going to the finals four straight times. Damn it, it should have been a dynasty. <laughs> you know, should have been a, a fucking dynasty. It's just that that season alone. I mean, I hated it. It had so much, so many moving parts. Dion Waiters was mm-hmm. shipped out for uh, if you remember these guys, Alice Kirk and Lou Abinson. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were shipped out. Uh, Dion as well. Tyler Zeller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in come J.R. Smith and um, Amon Shumpert. Mm-hmm. And, and Timothy Moskov, too. Yeah, yeah. Made a deal for Timothy, who who did play a big role in that uh, that first season and the first finals, but kind of was relegated to the back seat the following year. Yeah, and that team was just like, I felt like LeBron was really playing like my GM mode in 2K with like, cause that roster that he likes when he technically signed with the Cavs, what it started with to what season's end was, there was probably like four players left from that current roster. Oh yeah. LeBron definitely, uh, he had his say and he 
picked out each person that he wanted to stay. <laughs> yeah. I would not be surprised if he had a, a legal pad out and he wrote everybody's names and yeah, he crossed I, each one out. He pretty much did with the letter. He basically said who he was keeping and who didn't because there was no Deion Waiters <laughs> or Andrew Wiggins in that letter. And everyone was like, all right, well, LeBron's here. Maybe he'll want Wiggins. And, and, and then like next time we blinked, it was Kevin Love. Yeah, we talked about that last time. You you know, you know, Andrew some some part of him some capacity wanted to play with lebron but uh we it was yeah. it was for not now he get he got to enjoy the beautiful weather of minnesota <laughs> yeah yeah You're look, look at him now look, competing for an all-star spot yeah Golden who's State. laughing now <laughs> he's exactly. on the warriors and lebron's on the struggling lakers <laughs> Alrighty. so you got the you got the 2014 2015 cavs number 3 who's number 2 i'm going to say that the 2021 Cleveland Cavaliers are my number two because, you know, good vibes go a long way. And the, the longer you go without something, the uh, more you really aspire to have it. And the heart wants what the heart wants and it wants to win. And this team is doing it in a completely different way than what we saw the last time this Cavaliers team was successful, where it kind of felt like everything was done in panic and that it had to work or else something negative was going to occur because of it. And now it's like, how can the vibes get better? Not how could the vibes get any worse? And as we're seeing right now, Cleveland's like in a sense of euphoria as it seems like Rocket uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is exploding every game. I feel like going from last season to this season, you're seeing like just insane differences in how the team like not only gets along, it always got along very well, but, you know, vibes only get better and attitude in the locker room only get better when you win. And this Cavs team is like the testament of that like mantra. Okay, so obviously we know who that leaves at number one. But let me ask you this. What would it take for you to put the 21-22 Cavs in your number one spot? Um, I mean, say, I feel like it's really dumb to say a title would do it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't I feel like, you know, because the championship just meant so much, not only to First the, title, yeah. Yeah, the franchise, but the town. And like, it's just a struggling, I like, I honestly, the reason I feel like I love the Cavaliers so much is because I really empathize with like the Cleveland mindset of like, you want, you just see like their history and how much it's like struggling. So to get a championship in the way that they did back in uh, 2015, 16 is just, it really felt like such a not only relief but like a fairy tale ending in a sort of way that I I think that it's like a miracle that this Cavs team is so good now and I don't want my thoughts about us not like this being second to take away from the enjoyment I'm having in this season because I feel like there's no way to really phrase it by like unless I'm like the Cavs are number one. this season's the best Cavs season <laughs> I've ever watched in my entire life <laughs> but I I think I just I do love this team and it's definitely like one of my all time favorite like not even like Cavs like seasons but sporting seasons in general. Dude, I could not agree more. Um, I guess the best way that I could sum it up is I'm I'm having to try and you know me, man. I've like had I won't say high expectations for them. Like I'm gonna be pissed off if they lose or something like that, uh, and they don't make it to the playoffs. Um, never had that mentality, but I did have high hopes for them this season. I did consider them to be a playoff contender before the year started, mm-hmm. uh, as most of you listeners know. 
And even, you know, as much as I like to tout it around, like me, me being among the minority, even I, man, like nobody, nobody at all, somebody would be lying to you if they thought they'd be this good this soon. So um, I'm, I'm trying to live in the moment. You know, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be present and enjoy what I'm watching just because this is potentially the start of something that could have, you know, potential contender perennially every year, you know, something of that nature. This is a foundation that is being laid here. And I think the ramifications that it could have on the league. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about the fact that these guys are playing a three seven footer lineup and it is working. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of that has to do with the, you know, the personnel. That's the one thing that can't be missed here. The personnel, it's always important. You can't just roll out like three Bismack Biambos or <laughs> uh, three Thon makers or something like that. And, and expect it to work. It's, it's personnel. It's not just size. It, it it works because everybody brings something different to the table and yeah. people are able to clean up others' weaknesses. Jared Allen is a terrific interior defender. He plays in the post very well. He doesn't try and do too much outside of his skill set. And yet he's still putting up double doubles on a nightly basis. Evan Mobley is a work in progress on offense but is miles ahead of his age in terms of his defensive impact. And he's still finding ways to contribute on offense on a nightly basis. Let's not forget the fact that he can basically defend. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to mince words here. I, I really think even in short stints, he can guard one through five. He, he's that mm-hmm. switchable. I I agree with that. I don't want, <laughs> don't feel like you're an Island on that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would hope that a lot of people have seen that by now, uh, but I know some people are still kind of skeptical of his switchability. Even I don't get it, um, unless they're not watching film on him. And then mm-hmm. let's get to marking it, uh, who, like I said before, public opinion on him seems kind of wane every other game to left or right. Mm-hmm. But so much of what he provides is not in the box score, um, and he's been very good defensively, sneakily good. He had four, mm-hmm. um, and not just in like terms of counting stats, although he did have four steals against the Thunder. Uh, he's his ability to be able to go out there. He, he he's a little switchable. I think people are underrating that about him. Like I, I, there was one possession that comes to mind for me in which he got caught out on an island versus uh, I want to say James Harden, and he stood his ground. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon to see that from him. Um, but for, for this team, just getting back to my original point, dude, they're, they're changing basketball right before our very eyes. It's, it's, uh, and I'm trying to live in a moment. It, it's, it's hard to, to not want to put expectations on these guys, but at the same time, <sighs> I mean, these things are fluid, <laughs> so I, I'm trying to enjoy it, but I'm, I'm not trying to sit back and, and act like nothing is happening. So I don't know, man. It's just I could go on and on about this team, but to get back to the uh, the, the topic at hand, I, I probably would have ranked things in the exact same order as you. Um, and to be honest with you, I I don't know if a title this year will ever like truly change that uh, the, the feeling of winning your first title 
just just what it meant watching LeBron, you know, yell, Cleveland, this is for you, you know, all this little, uh, you know, the, the the sentimental stuff. But I don't know. This is a damn fun team to watch, and it's a damn good time to be a Cavs fan. And with that being said, man, let's get to this Nets game. It's just, that's the one that everybody wants to talk about. That's the one that is the marquee matchup here. You know, mm-hmm. we know, we we know this one featured the, the return of Kyrie Irving, who who never seems to want to play in Cleveland. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, who balled out in his own right. But, you know, this one, this one was all about the Cavs. 114-107 behind yet another dominant performance by DG the PG, who dropped 22-6-12. and 12. But it's another game in which really everybody chipped in. Um, I, don't, I mean, there's there's not much else that I can say that many Cavs fans haven't already heard already. Uh, so I'm going to pass this one to you. What was your biggest takeaway from this one? I think the biggest thing that this Cavs team has proven time, time again that we see in this Brooklyn game is that for the most part, we're playing really good teams close a lot of times. And then it really just comes down to like when the third quarter hits or like early in the fourth, if this Cavs team has enough gas left in the tank to go for, keep going toe for toe. And it seemed like this Brooklyn game throughout the whole time, it was constantly just back and forth. It was kind of like what we saw for the first half of this Warriors game a few weeks ago that we talked about where we kind of felt like you still had a puncher's chance. It was just, how was this team going to respond coming out of the half? And right away, you kind of saw that the life was still in this Cavs team, which it all honestly shouldn't have based on when you look at this road trip that we were on and then how we're, it's still like, we're still playing so many more games than our competition at this point. I think I saw that we're like four games more than what Chicago has played. And they're in yeah. first uh, <laughs> so they should, stuff, right? For them. Yeah. And this team should just be tired and it should just seem lifeless at times, but it just seems like no matter what, doesn't matter who steps up for this team more likely than not. It's Darius, but this Cavs team is always ready to answer the bell when they're called on. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. I think the, the mere fact that they're able to go out there and give it their all, despite, especially the starters, they're, they're leaning heavily on the starters on a night to night basis. Um, mm-hmm. This is another one in which DG and Mobley played 35 plus minutes. Um, Mobley at 37, he led the team. And Garland with 36. And I I know we talked about this on the last episode too, but it still rings true to me. Like, how are you going to find ways to get these guys rest? Um, You have Chicago coming up tomorrow, the next game, as of recording this. And even though they're going to be missing Levine uh, for a little bit of time, that's still a very tough team. Um, So you would assume you're going to have the starters out there as much as you can, especially with Garland being like the, the true, the one true shot maker, um, facilitator, playmaker, whatever word you want to use. Um, but I just, I don't know how they're going to find ways to, to, to get rest to these guys. What do you think they can do in that regard over the stretch? Cause they, it's not just Chicago. They got Milwaukee coming up. It was hot on their heels. Um, I, I just, I don't know. So what what would you think a good way to be able to get these guys rest? I I feel like well one we gotta like we said earlier gotta let Dean Wade see the sunlight sometimes you know <laughs> he'll, the, he'll forget what yeah, it looks yeah. like. <laughs> it's like he's uh 
he's uh, in solitary confinement right now or something. I know. It's like, what are they trying to get out of him? Like, what te- what lesson can they toss possibly teach him? It's like, just stare at Kevin Love plays and just continue to do that. And then when you look more like Kevin, you'll be ready. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, like, and do we know if Rondo's going to be back for that yet? I don't know. This hamstring thing is just nagging. And I, I saw someone tweet this. I don't remember who it was, but it's not necessarily the injury that's the concern. It's that it just seems like it's lingering. Like if he just had the hamstring tightness before and it like it went away after like two games, you wouldn't really think anything of it. But considering his age and the longevity of this injury, you would start to fear that if we just don't let him completely like sit for a few weeks, it could be a nagging thing at the rest of the season, which is not why we traded for him is to sit and just critique us from the bench. Yeah, it's a very it's got to be a tough spot for him to be into. Um, soft tissue injuries are always one that kind of they're head scratchers because you never really know the lasting effects, especially as athletes get older. Um, but Rondo, the way that I'm viewing him right now is that the Cavs really acquired him for the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really mad at the fact that Brandon Goodwin is seeing most of that time because it gives him it does give him meaningful minutes to develop um and you're starting to see it some growth but i mean at this point he kind of is what he is um i don't know much how much more development you're going to get out of him um so you want to see rondo (laughs) out there but i get it at the end of the day i'm just i'm really worried about these guys kind of being burnt out heading down the stretch you know i totally agree with you i just think that it like are we going to have to like look at the trade deadline for more troops to come in? Cause it's not like we're going to just randomly acquire two players for no one. Like someone has to leave in order for someone to come in. So it's not like we're just gaining minutes. We're still giving up minutes to acquire other pieces. Yeah. I mean, and let's not kid ourselves here. We all know who those pieces would probably be. We know people are, eyeballing Ricky Rubio wanted to include him in any deal <laughs> left mm-hmm. and right, whether that be for a Karis LeVert or Eric Gordon. Um, and we've already, we've continuously talked about that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to give that any more, <laughs> any more time, but you get the point guys. It's, there's, there's not a lot of options for Cleveland to pursue in, in that regard, other than kind of lean on what they already have, unless like a blockbuster deal is made, which I'm hoping that they don't. So We'll kind of have to see how that plays out, but just kind of getting back to this game, man. Um, it, it was really nice to see Kyrie Irving play in Cleveland. I, I kind of, I don't get a lot of chances to see too many Brooklyn games outside of them being on like prime time. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see him. And even though he hasn't been playing up until recently due to the whole, you know, the COVID stuff, it was still very I, – I, you kind of forget how shifty this guy is and just yeah. some of the crazy shots he's able to make. Like, there was at least one to two sequences, maybe more, in which him and DG kind of traded shots, and they were both shifty in doing so. Yeah, their play styles are similar but different at the same time. You know, it feels like they both – like if you had to like just do a really like generic summary of how their offensive game styles are, they pretty much match up in the same. But then when you watch them, they do it. They do the same thing in completely different ways. I don't know if that makes sense with you. No, it does. Um, I, I really honestly think even at this point in his career, I think DG is like the more the 
and all people are going to kill me for saying this. I'm going to say it anyways. Do I think he's better than Kyrie? No, I do not. But I think he overall, overall, I think he is more of a traditional point guard. Mm-hmm. I think he meshes both play styles well. And when I say both play styles, I mean a scoring guard, uh, more of a two. And I believe that he is a better playmaker, even at this point of his career, than, than Kyrie Irving, who, you know, we know what he's about. We know what he can do. Kyrie can bring it on, on a nightly basis. He is a Hall of Fame caliber talent. But I do believe that Darius Garland has a couple of just key components to his game that that Kyrie never never really got to this early in his career. And the playmaking is definitely one. I just, in today's NBA, I think DG is like outside of size. I think this, this dude is like the, the prototype point guard that you want to see. He just, he meshes everything well. He can score. He can assist. His defense is actually getting better. I don't know how much more you could want from this guy. He's like, you know, like we've talked about numerous times, he is not John Moran. He's not going to highlight dunk you into <laughs> out of existence, but he does so many things. It's just as a fan of all things basketball, it's just refreshing to watch. Yeah. You have to think that when Darius started out and his shot really struggled, for his first few years. And he really became a way more of a facilitator than you kind of expected when we drafted him that, that those slumped years really had to help form him into the player that he is today. And now that his shot is coming back along, you're really reaping the benefits of what seemed to be a struggling guard. When, when DG first came into the league, let me ask you this. What was, what would, what do you think his ceiling was? What kind of player do you think he would be? I feel like the comp that was always flying around was that him and Sexton would become the uh, Lillard McCullum combo. And so like when that was really kind of like ingrained into my mind, I was kind of expecting this like gunner three point shooting hunting guard that didn't really make sense when you considered we also had Sexton who I kind of felt did the same thing. But then as you kind of watched Garland play, through all of his struggles and you noticed how he has good, way better vision than what the tape kind of suggested and all the comps that were made out there that you kind of fig- started to really figure out the type of guard that Garland was. And now the shot, like I said, is here. You kind of, he kind of is like you said, blended the two styles together. Yeah. I mean, and credit to JB Bickerstaff for getting in this man's head and and, and making him well, I'm not making him but you know <laughs> having him out there playing confident basketball he's it just confidence is exuding from from everybody top to bottom I mean, we already talked about Winler starting to show signs of life in that regard we, we see Evan Mobley came in not looking timid so that was great to see and Jared Allen is is looking ultra confident this season as well um, you know, outside of DG and, and Kyrie, which was, you know, the showtime primetime matchup between the two, dude, let's talk about Isaac Okoro. Like over the last two games, this dude is putting the clamps on people. <laughs> uh, just in terms of comparisons sake, what do you think that, uh, that his upside is at this point based upon what you've seen? Cause we've seen all types of comparisons thrown out there. 
Iguodala, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. Give me your comp for him. I feel like Isaac Okoro is probably the hardest player to comp of anyone I've been trying to think of for a while. I can't ever seem to find, cause like, I don't know what his growth trajectory is offensively. Defensively. I feel like we know exactly what he's going to be, but this Cavs team is really pushing his offensive limits at times just to try to get his confidence up. What, what, what were you thinking of when you think of like comparisons for him? The one comparison that I really I, I don't like the 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 Lillard or well, not the Lillard the uh, Kawhi Leonard rather comparison because I don't I think Kawhi even in year one was a lot more offensively polished than um, than than Isaac is in in year two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jimmy Butler was kind of the same way, but yeah. the, the Bulls kind of featured him a little bit more after Derrick Rose injury and whatnot. And, um, you know, Paul George, damn, that that dude in in his prime, and I guess you could technically still consider this his prime, kind of trending downward. That dude is a monster on both ends of the floor. So the one player that comes to mind for me and has for a while is Tony Allen. If you remember how how great of a defender he was, and he was never really anything on offense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think that to me, is his potential at this point in time. I'm not going to say that that he won't surpass that, but I do think that that is his comp, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think defensively, like we like we know exactly what he's going to bring to the table for his career. It just really is like if he can break through into another tier offensively, it will be easier to shed like these comps of defender, like only defending value players because that's the hard part. Like you said, like they want like you, I feel like when a player shows any sign of two way ability, you automatically go to like, Oh, he has to be like a Kawhi or a Paul <laughs> yeah, George or a Jimmy Butler. And it's like, they all grow on trees. Apparently that's why they get paid a hundred million dollars for when they're found. Cause there's so many of them available. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, it's so hard to really to really throw any type of comparison out there, like you said, just because you don't quite know what he is on offense at this point. And there does seem to be points in which the the Cavs appear to kind of be forcing the issue with him. And you know, in Brooklyn, he had an well against Brooklyn, he had a nice game offensively, five or seven from the field. He did convert on a three and he hit all four of his free throw attempts. Um, but Still, by and large, a lot of those points for Isaac do come via the transition, mm-hmm. you know, fast breaks and whatnot, as we saw a couple of those dunks. But for him, until he can kind of be a little bit more consistent in that regard, I think he'll kind of, in, at least in my opinion, remain in like the Tony Allen range. It, and that could definitely elevate. But damn, like even if he never develops into anything more than like a an all-defensive caliber defender with what the Cavs have working for them right now. I am perfectly okay with that. Even, even if he was drafted fifth overall, but that's just my opinion on it. Yeah. I think when you really just remove draft capital from the situation, cause like, I think when people draft in the top five, they're expecting like, of oh, this guy isn't a franchise cornerstone, then it was a waste of a pick, but a lot of really valuable players can still be drafted in the first round at any spot 
just because you're not living up to what people perceive the fifth pick should be. Let's not forget that when that draft happened, everyone was like, this is the least like this draft has no depth whatsoever. Like you're just drafting role players in this draft, essentially. And then now that LaMelo ball and Anthony Edwards look like they're franchise cornerstones, everyone's like, well, now a was taken fifth. And that was such a waste. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really dumb with that. We have to keep like, you're, you're only as valuable as your draft label or where you were selected. Yeah. I think, you know, Isaac Okoro, I think he would be the first to admit to you himself too. that Hey, I'm not a, I am not one of these guys who you think should be, should be going in the top five, but you cannot help where you're drafted. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You, you can't help with your where you're drafted. And I think that Kobe Altman did the best that he could uh, with the decisions that he, uh, that he had to make. And I think Isaac was like the, the, the perfect fit, at least for what they needed because they, they needed perimeter defense. Uh, mm-hmm. especially starting Sexland, um, which I don't know if we'll ever see again. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you, you understand the reasoning behind selecting him fifth overall. So some guys, you, you can't just think of guys in terms of where they're drafted. And sometimes it really just has to do with what if what an organization sees within that player and what they could develop into. And yeah. So, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, if you just look at that draft, like after Isaac Okoro and you, I tell you like the next 10 or next five players that were taken, I want, like, would you want any of these players instead of what Okoro brings to this Cavs team? You could have either a Kongwu, Hayes, Toppin, Advia, or Jalen Smith. And I said Jalen Smith's full name, because if I said Smith, (laughs) you would not know who the hell I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Give me Obi Toppin. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, that was such a fear of mine when that draft happened. I remember I was like, "Oh my god, we're totally taking top. <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare." It, don't get me wrong. I do. I think a lot of people are harder on Obi Top than they should be, um, especially you know considering that he that he played for Dayton, you know, my hometown, and I, I do believe they got robbed of a chance to compete for the national championship. I think they would have won, mm-hmm. um, but no. Isaac Okoro was the guy. He was the man for the job. And you see what he brings to the table on a nightly basis. Anytime you're throwing Isaac out there to, I don't know about you, but um, anytime you see him out there defending the opposition's best perimeter guy, you can feel pretty good about that. You feel pretty good about your chances. That is a player that is insanely valuable for postseason basketball. And that's when I feel like people are really going to start appreciating him more than like Cavs fans. I think do appreciate him now. I just think there's a sector of Cavs fans that want him to drop like 20 every few nights and give this defensive performance. He is still a young player. (laughs) Like let's just pump the brakes. Yeah. I mean, very, very young indeed. So I think he just became able to buy alcohol. If I'm not mistaken, I think he just turned 21. I could be wrong on that. It's been a while since I looked up his birthday. Uh, but you don't check daily. <laughs> I should. He is he is 20 for the okay. record. Okay, thank you for clarifying that for me. So the man cannot buy an alcoholic beverage. So you, people have to go and slow the roll on wanting to include this guy on a deal or not wanting to uh, let him develop. So. Just our thoughts on the matter here at the It's Cavalier podcast. But 
I don't know. It just like you said, he is going to become highly valuable, even more valuable than he already is at this point in the postseason. You know who else is going to be valuable in the postseason? Colin Sexton. Dean Wade. <laughs> yes, Dean Wade. You, you got to have guys who can come in. No you got to have guys who can is. clap on the bench and ask coach, when am I going in? <laughs> By the time you see Dean Wade, he's probably going to have gray hair. I mean, I know. <laughs> dude's going to have like a whole beard and gray hair or something because he's been in solitary confinement for some reason. And I would love to know uh, why that is. But um, with that being said, you know, just moving on from the rest of this game before we get out of here. Uh, I don't know if it's just me, but James Harden, like he seems to kind of like faded to the back. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even, when I watch the Nets, I kind of forget that James Harden even plays for them anymore, to be honest with you. It's it's weird. It feels a lot like his last year in Houston, where not the year he got traded, but the year before, where I feel like whenever, the thing that pisses me off about James Harden the most is when he doesn't have the ball, you don't even see him on camera. Like, he is just in the corner of the court, and you just are like, how are they four down right now? He's like, like <laughs> yeah, I mean, he... He often looks like a catch and shoot guy out there um, when he's not the facilitator. And don't get me wrong, he actually had a very, uh, from a statistical standpoint, he had a very impactful game 22, 7, and 10. But he also had the lowest plus minus on the team. And you just, you kind of lost track of him on the court at times. It just, since the rules have changed, his play style just looks kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, his play style's always been boring, but it was efficient. And that's what I think pissed a lot of people off, like the basketball purists. But at the same time, like when this Nets team is like, it feels like it's just a very disappointing roster. I think it like coming into it, we were expecting explosion and instead yeah. we're getting like fizzle. I, I mean, I, you have to wonder how much of that is just because uh, is because they've just now reacclimated Kyrie into the offense. Um, and, you know, he's kind of a part-time player at this point. So mm-hmm. who knows how that's going to go. And that just sounds of that funny. Team. <laughs> Doesn't that sound funny? Yeah. Uh, that's a good way to put it. But they they have little to no interior defense. So they, they can be exposed. And the Cavaliers are a perfect team for that. Um, but my last question for you, man, before we get out of here, is these teams, they could potentially meet in the postseason. Now, if you had to make a decision right now in a seven-game series, and and we know we've seen these cat these teams play three times this season, if I'm not mistaken. Two of those two of those games, Evan Mobley was absent, and I want to say Jared Allen maybe missed one. I can't remember uh, off the top of my head, but we know that we were down key players in those two matchups. This time around, there was no KD. And the Cavs kind of seemed to be, I don't know. They, they didn't seem to exactly be in control of this one, but I, I did feel really good about their chances uh, throughout the whole night. So my question for you is, and, and you know what's coming. I have to ask this. <laughs> Seven-game series. Do you feel confident that the Cleveland Cavaliers could beat the Brooklyn Nets? At no. full strength. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say no. I hate to be sound like a Debbie Downer. At the end of the day, though, I just think the playoffs come to how many like alphas do you have on the court that can score a bucket when required. And I think the Cavs honestly have won. 
and it's Darius and he's technically not even playoff proven yet. And we saw in that Warriors game, the lights were pretty bright and that team seemed to shrivel up in the second half of that game, especially Darius. He seems to struggle when defenses really hone in on him right now because he just isn't used to that type of intensity defensively. And they have the nets have Kevin Durant. And I know we just like dragged James Harden through the dirt, (laughs) but I still feel like when push comes to shove, they have three alphas on the other side that will score. And that's what really, I think Brooklyn's a not a great matchup for us at all. Okay. All righty. Fair enough. I'm not going to, I'm going to beat you (laughs) over the head about that. Uh, Not going to be homerist. Right now, not a lot of homerism going on. Uh, Doesn't mean there's not good vibes, though. <laughs> okay, so how many games? How many games do you think it would take to eliminate the Caps? Then this um, is not a great matchup. Would you give them at least? Would you give them at least five? I was. I'd still think it'd be six. I think though, but like, I think it'd be more of that. The Cavs are going to try consistently hard the whole time, and I still think this next team can go an autopilot and still win a seven game series when they really need to. They were like a Kevin Durant toe away from beating the bucks in the postseason last year. Indeed they were. And that was without Kyrie Irving, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't lie. They're, they're still among the favorites in the East. I think Cleveland is like getting up there slowly, but surely, but we still have a lot of season to go. Uh, but it's nice to dream. <laughs> it definitely is. I would I, nothing would make me happier than us beating the Nets. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would definitely feel good, especially if Kyrie is in those games. Definitely be a uh, a great feeling, and you know you've arrived if you're able to just steal a few from them. And like we've said numerous times, this is never truly a season about like playoff contention. It was also it was more so about evaluation. And kind of figuring out what you had in, in most of these guys, they just managed to exceed expectations. So even in my opinion, even if they 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 took one from a series like that or or even got swept, I'm not gonna be like angry about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great team. Just just a a, a tough matchup for, for just about anybody. Uh, but like I said, they have weaknesses. They can they can be beat, but overall they are the more talented. Uh, they have the more talented big three. So it's just one of those things. Uh, with that being said, man, I'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode. As I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Have a good one.